Thessalonians chapter one, I'm sorry, chapter five, <laughs> first Thessalonians chapter five. We're going back to the beginning, people. First Thessalonians chapter five. And I want to welcome you again this morning and tell you that I love you and you're doing a great job. You're a wonderful church who is showing so much throughout the week of just a desire to live for the Lord, to walk with the Lord. Um, our pastors are so encouraged and just want to encourage you to keep going, uh, keep walking with the Lord, keep pursuing Christ, godliness, uh, keep your hearts in the love of God and keep loving each other and building one another up. Uh, keep knowing and doing the word. Uh, you need to just keep on understanding more from the word of God and keep on doing it. And, uh, and keep building one another up, keep evangelizing the lost, and, and keep uh, looking for ways to share the explicit gospel with the people around you, and even contemplating what God wants to do with your life in terms of your service. Um, and so, uh, once again, we love you, and, and I'm super proud of you and our church, and not to patronize you in any way, but just to genuinely tell you that this is a wonderful wonderful body of Christ, and, um, and I'm so excited and encouraged by what I see in our members in terms of your walk with the Lord. And so we need the Word of God to help us continue to do what I just said, and uh, His words are the words that we build our lives on. His words are the rock in which we build our lives on, right? Because uh, we can build our lives on sand or uh, on our own wisdom, and, uh, and that will be uh, destruction, not only in this life, but also in the life to come. When the waves of judgment break forth and the Lord comes, that house will fall. Jesus says, those of you who hear my words and do them, you will be building your house upon the rock. Uh, the rock is his word, is the trustworthiness of his word. And so we want to build our lives on that, especially our understanding of the future. And that's what we've been talking about. And so as we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to read verses 1 through 11 and finish up verses 1 through 3 today. And we're just going to try to peruse around inside of there and just squeeze out everything we can so that when we move on, uh, we'll feel as though we understand not only what we learned in the last passage dealing with the rapture, but in this passage regarding the day of the Lord and the order of the events and the future, uh, uh, future events of the Lord. And we want to have a clear foundation baseline understanding. So I'm just going to try to keep informing you so that you understand what we're doing. And then next week we'll move into the implications for our lives. But let's read all of 1 through 11 and once again enter into verses 1 through 3 this morning. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, 
for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. So what we're seeing in the passage before us today is Paul addressing the Thessalonian believers once again about the day of the Lord. He's speaking about the day of the Lord. He's reminding them about some information, and then he's going to encourage them with some implications. Okay, So in other words, as he's speaking here, he's focusing on the topic of the future judgment of unbelievers, the day of the Lord, and then he's telling the true church, these believers, we learned in chapter one, these are true believers. They've been elected, they've been called, and they've shown evidence of true saving faith. He's telling these true believers how knowing the future judgment of unbelievers should affect their lives currently. And so now they should live differently. They should think differently. They should spend their time differently. They should focus their lives entirely different than the world. And they should live in such a way that understands this future judgment. So I've entitled these series of messages through this section, the coming day of the Lord. And this is part two. And really because this whole section verses five, uh, one through 11 in chapter five are about the day of the Lord. And so, listen, now what Paul is doing here is he is being a really good shepherd. Paul's being a really good shepherd. He's reminding them of the truth. He's pointing them to the clear knowledge that they already have. If you remember what we read in 2 Peter just a few minutes ago, Peter was doing what? He was reminding them of the truth, reminding them of things that he's already told them. That's what a good shepherd does teaches them, and then he reminds them of what he's taught them over and over and over again. We need reminders, don't we? And so what's happening here is Paul's already taught them about the end times, which is wonderful to understand. This is a very young church. I'm talking months. And Paul's already taught them an extensive eschatological uh, uh, position and understanding of the... He's taught them about the future, the end times. At such an early age in their Christian life. Why? Because it affects your life now. And so he's already taught them about this. And now he's reminding them of this truth that he's already taught them. And now he's telling them how this should live, how this should affect how they live their lives here on earth. And so confusion only leads to chaos, and it only leads to pointless speculation and discouragement. But God has made his truth clear. God has made the matters of our lives, of what he expects, of his righteousness, and of the future clear, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If the gospel wasn't clear, no one would be able to be saved. 
And so he's made all of this clear in his word. He wants believers to live in light of his clear truth. He wants you to live in light of his clear truth. If you're foggy about his truth or about the word of God, you need to just keep spending time in the word. Ask somebody who you can trust in our church to teach you the word. You should not be foggy. You should be clear. If there are areas or doctrines that you don't understand, write them down and say, I want someone to teach me so I can have clarity about this. The Bible is meant to be understood. It's not meant to be foggy. And so, so often we live like that. And Paul wants them to have clarity because he wants them to live in light of that clarity. He doesn't want them to be discouraged. He wants them to be holy. He wants them to know what the Lord expects so they can live like that. He wants them to be encouraged. He wants them to be hopeful. He wants them to have a clear future hope so they can look forward to it. He wants them to believe rightly and think rightly and act rightly. And so he wants them to keep going. He wants them to keep growing. He wants them to understand God. He wants them to understand his ways, his plans, his principles, to love each other, to live obediently. He wants them to turn away from sin. He wants them to evangelize. He wants them to glorify God, be examples to other believers. All things we've read in here, they're already examples. He wants them to reach the lost. Their word is sounding forth. Remember this already. He wants them to do that, to evangelize. He wants them to fight sin. Remember just a few weeks ago, we learned about uh, their uh, Paul uh, teaching them to protect themselves against sexual immorality. He wants them to continue following Christ until the end of their lives. He says, what you've been doing, do this more and more because this is God's will for you, your sanctification. He wants to have clarity so that he can that they can live in light of this clarity and this teaching. He wants this to affect their lives. He's being a good pastor here. So he wants to teach them so that they live differently. They live to glorify God. And this is the hope that he addresses with the day of the Lord. When you understand the future judgment of the unbelievers, it affects how we live now. And so this is his hope even for them. And this is my hope for you. As we make our way just verse by verse through this book, when we come to now this judgment of unbelievers, the technical term called the day of the Lord, my hope is that you leave here different. You leave here understand, understanding some things and expecting some things. That you leave here evangelizing the lost because you don't want them to experience this. That you live here not living like the world because you know what their destiny is and you don't want any part of that. And that you live holy lives because you want to prove that you are in Christ, not that it's by your works, but as the evidence of true saving faith because you don't even want to come near to the judgment that is coming for those who don't believe. My hope is that you leave encouraged because you will miss the judgment. By God's grace through the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will not be a part of God's wrath coming on unbelievers. Isn't that a miracle? Isn't that wonderful? And so this should affect you. This should impact you. If it doesn't grip you, then you need to check your pulse or something. Because the word of God is is astounding as it speaks to God's grace and the future events and what will happen to us and even his judgment. We get a great picture of him. And so this is addressed to believers. This is addressed to believers. And so this is addressed to you. The future judgment of unbelievers, though you will miss it, should affect you. But this also is relevant for those who don't believe in Christ. 
And if you're here today and you're just on the fence, let me just encourage you. You, you could die in, a, in an hour. You should not play around with this. This is life, death, and eternity. You need to repent of your sin and trust in Christ. You know that you're a sinner. You know that you've fallen short. And as we sang just earlier, Christ is the only merit for salvation. Throw yourself upon him so that you miss this judgment. You got to throw yourself on Christ, trusting in him and him alone. It's not going to work this way, but if God were to look at you and say, hey, look, what should, what have you done that you should enter into my kingdom? Your only answer should be nothing, but Christ died for me. That's trusting in the merit of Christ alone for salvation. And if that's not what came to your mind just now, you got to take a deep look at really what you're trusting in for salvation. Because your only answer should be Christ. Christ died for me. That's the way to escape God's future judgment. And his future judgment is right and just because he's good. So he judges sin and he's made a way to escape it through his son. So this is very relevant for you if you are not in Christ. And so my hope is that you would embrace these divinely inspired words from this infallible revelation, which is God's word. And so Paul writes to these believers about the day of the Lord. We're going to be finishing up verses one through three. As I told you, this entire section is verses one through 11. It's really divided into two main headings, which is really the anticipation in verses one through three and the application in verses four through 11. The anticipation in verses one through three and the application in verses four through 11. And we'll begin that second section next week and maybe finish it. But under this first major heading, verses one through three, there are really three subheadings that I want you to see. And these are just, these are just hooks that you can hang your thoughts on so you can follow along as we move forward. Under this first major heading, the anticipation, there's the abruptness in verses one through two. Speaking of the day of the Lord now, the attitude that's involved here in verse three. A and the activity in verse three B, the abruptness, the attitude and the activity. And so this is how we can see this divided up here. And let's now look at this, uh, the anticipation of the coming day of the Lord in verses one through three, when Paul speaks of this anticipation of this day coming, he starts with the abruptness verses one through two, meaning this, all of this is going to happen in God's timing. All of this is going to happen suddenly. You do not need to know, nor can you know, when this is going to happen. You just need to focus on how you're living now. That's, this is the abruptness. Verses 1 through 2. Let's read it. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, as we look at this, listen now, Paul's changing subjects here. It's important that you know that. He's changing subjects. The second coming or the day of the Lord is not the rapture, and the rapture is not the day of the Lord. Some people teach that. It's not true. 
Some people teach that you will go through the rapture, uh, the, the tribulation, and then the Lord will come. And some of it is driven by a desire to have some kind of toughness, to stand for the Lord, to prepare their goods and, and all those things. And so that the second coming is the, the rapture and the rapture is the second coming and you will make it through the tribulation. And then all of that will kind of happen together. It's not true. Uh, the, the scriptures don't teach that. It's a far stretch to look at it that way. There are two separate events. One is the rapture, which is what he just spoke about at the end of chapter four. And then there's the second event, which is the day of the Lord, which he's speaking here about, not in terms of order. I'll explain the order to you later, but he's speaking of a different event than the rapture here. He's speaking of the second coming of Christ. People sometimes get confused. They say the second coming, isn't that the rapture when he comes next? Cause the first coming was when he came on earth. Yes, but no. When people speak of the second coming, the second coming means after the rapture. It's really the kind of the third coming, so to speak. Okay. So he came on earth. He will come and collect his, his, uh, elect ones, his believers, uh, in the rapture. And then he will come again after the tribulation to judge unbelievers and even collect those who have come to Christ during the tribulation. So this is a new subject. This is the day of the Lord. This is judgment on unbelievers. And we know this because Paul uses a common phrase here that he uses throughout scripture. And I showed you this last week in first Corinthians and it's peri day in the Greek and it's translated now concerning. You see that there in verse one, now concerning, it's a change of subject. That might be like insignificant to you as you look at it for the first time. It's not insignificant. We believe every word is inspired by God, right? Because God said he breathed every what word. So every word is important. And, uh, and so he adds brothers here. Now, this is also concerning, uh, uh, translated. Sometimes, uh, people have different translations. It can be, uh, again, now concerning or now as to. Now, like, let me switch subjects here and speak of something else. Okay. So he's speaking of the day of the Lord and he adds brothers here and he typically adds brothers when he does this. And really, this is an affectionate call to attention. An affectionate call to attention. Listen here, okay? Because this is important. This brothers here is what's in called what's called the vocative, okay? The vocative is 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 a direct address, and so he's looking at someone and he's saying, "You," he's calling you by name, right? Brothers. Uh, the the vocative is a direct address, and so brothers is in the vocative here. So he's changing subjects and he's speaking to them directly, meaning I want you to listen to what I'm saying. I'm talking to you. I'm not talking about something. I'm talking about something, but to you, right? I, I want you to hear. I'm talking uh, to you. Believers in Christ, this true church, these people, and he's addressing now the day of the Lord. But listen, there's a little bit of an overlap here. He's going to get to the day of the Lord. He just spoke about the rapture, but there's a bit of an overlap here because he says now concerning, look at verse one, the times and the what? Seasons. In other translations, it's the epics, meaning chronological time and 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 events, so to speak, Kairos and Kronos. Okay, it's 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 
chronological time, like calendar time, date time, and it's events or seasons or periods. And so this is what he's saying here. He's saying he's talking to them about this, and he just got done talking about the rapture. He's going to talk about the day of the Lord. But here in the middle, there's a little bit of the overlap. And what I think he has in mind here is sort of just the big picture of interpreting all of the end time events. Okay, all of the end time events. He spoke to them about the rapture, comforted them. He's going to speak to them about uh, the day of the Lord. But now concerning just the timing of the end times, right? Concerning the timing of the end times, especially the rapture, the tribulation and the day of the Lord, because that's what's in view here. Right. He's 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 telling them that they don't need to worry about the timing. They should not be concerned with the timing, okay? And let me explain this to you. Think about what he's just spoken about. He's just spoken about the rapture. Why did he speak about the rapture? Well, he's speaking about the rapture because, remember, they're concerned. They expected that the Lord would come in their lifetime. Every believer should live like that, that the rapture would happen in their lifetime. But what happened? Believers had died and the Lord hadn't come yet. So they're saying, I thought Christ was coming now, but people have died, right? And so they're concerned about this. So what Paul speaks here about is that the Lord will come and those who have died in Christ will come with them, their physical bodies will come from the grave. Their glorified bodies will reunite with them, their souls who have been with God in heaven. The believers who are still left on the earth will come up, meet the Lord in the air, right? And they'll all be together. And so the Lord's rapture, those who have died before the rapture, they're not going to miss it. The, The concern is you should live like he's still coming in your lifetime, but those who have died before his rapture will not, will not miss it. Then they'll be together and all the believers will go into heaven. And we know that at that point, there's the Bema seat of judgment when believers will be judged for their works. Some will be burned up. Some will last, depending on if you did uh, what was genuinely uh, right and good and based on the word of God in the ministry of your life uh, will stand and that which was worldly and fleshly and pointless will be burned up like, wa- uh, like wood, hay and stubble. And so he clears this up. Don't worry. Everyone's going to be part of the rapture. Now that's really important. But listen, they were also concerned about something else. They were also concerned that they had missed the rapture. They were also concerned that possibly we had missed the rapture. There's believers who are dying, so did we miss it? Did we miss it? Are we in the tribulation period? Are we in the day of the Lord? And so there's this concern here that maybe they're in the tribulation period. And we already know that this is true, that that's what's happening. Because Second Thessalonians chapter 2 there's some false teachers who says who have said that the day of the Lord has already what come, and so there's some false teachers. Now you have to understand the day of the Lord, although it's the end of the tribulation period in this judgment, sometimes the term includes the tribulation period as well, because it's judgment already happening, right? You get what I'm? You understand what I'm saying? In the tribulation period, that's judgment. 
And so that judgment is already happening, and it's the precursors, the 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 pains, the 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 uh, childbirth pains, right, leading up to the time of the day of the Lord. And so that's also sometimes included. So, in other words, there's these false teachers who are saying, "Yeah, you missed the rapture, and we're already in the tribulation period in that sense, and the day of the Lord is upon us." Right. And so you have to understand, again, sometimes that tribulation period includes this day of the Lord terminology, because you have to understand what's happening during the tribulation period. And this is just a side note for you. It's judgment. Right. God, during the tribulation period, loosens his hand of restraint on evil. He gives unbelievers over to their ways. That's judgment. If you're an unbeliever in here. You better hope that God has not given you over to what you want. Because that's judgment. That's judgment. And so that's what's happening to people during the tribulation period. And it involves the birth pains leading up to the day of judgment. So in that sense, it's judgment. In that sense, it's judgment, and it's God giving unbelievers over to their ways, leading up to the day of the Lord, Christ's second coming, which happens directly after the tribulation, when unbelievers will be formally judged. And so this is what the false teachers are saying, and again, this is their concern. Their concern is maybe we miss the rapture, maybe we're in the tribulation period, And leading up to the day of the Lord, right? You understand this? And so all of this, listen, I tell you all of this because here's what's happening. Obviously, all of this elicited questions for them about timing. Believers have died. I thought he was coming during our lifetime. What will happen to them? Are we in the tribulation period? When is this judgment happening? Is the day of the Lord near? Are we close to it? Are we in God's judgment? All of this just elicited frantic questions about timing, about timing. And so Paul here is saying now as to the times and the seasons, here's what's going to happen to believers in the rapture, those who died and those who are alive. Here's what's going to happen during the day of the Lord, right? Concerning when it's all going to happen, Right, The times and the seasons, verse 1, just look at it. He says, you have no need for what? To have anything written to what? You. You don't have anything. You have no need for anything to be written to you about the timing. You don't need to know the timing. You don't need to know. No one knows except God when all of this is going to kick off. When the chronological time is or when the events are going to kick off and take place. You already know that you'll be part of the rapture. You already know that you can expect it to happen in your lifetime. You can anticipate it with joy and comfort. If you die first, you'll be included in it. And you already know you won't be part of the day of the Lord. How do you know that? Well, let me just give you some evidence even. Sneak preview of next week. Look at verse uh, uh, verse 4. Right. Verse four, you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. Right. Meaning this. Understand this. Everyone who's still on the earth, it will surprise them like a thief. So that's not saying you'll be on earth, but it won't surprise you because you'll know when it's saying 
You're not in, you don't, you're not part of the darkness. For that, that, that day's not gonna be your day. You won't be part of that. Everyone who's here, it will surprise them. But it's saying you're not part of the dark, brothers. You're not part of that day. The surprising thief to take away unbelievers won't be part of your story. Right? Verse 8 even. Look at verse 8. Go down a little bit. But since we belong to the day, let us keep sober, having put on the breastplate of faith, love, for the, for the helmet, the hope of what? Salvation. In other words, this, what should protect your mind from the fear of this, of being part of this judgment should be the helmet of what? The hope of your salvation. You're destined to be saved, not for wrath. And so what we understand here is, is, and that's what it says in verse nine. Look at it. For God has destined us, has not destined us for what? Wrath, but to obtain salvation. The tribulation period is God's wrath. The day of the Lord is God's wrath. And so you should know these certain things. You won't be part of it. You'll be part of the rapture. God's going to save you through this. The day of the Lord is judgment. It's going to come suddenly. Everybody knows that. You're not going to be part of it. You're not destined for wrath. You're destined for salvation. Keep the helmet on that keeps your hope in the salvation that will belong to you. But here's what you don't need to know. The timing. You don't need to know when it's all going to kick off. That's all he's saying here. That's what he's saying here. And I can also tell you another proof here. And again, I'm just kind of, I know these verses we already covered. I'm just kind of squeezing everything out. So you just don't leave this section without any information. I mean, look at the, how the pronouns switch in verses one through two, uh, one through three. Now, concerning the times and seasons, brother, you, second person, have no need to have anything written to you, second person, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief. While people, in other translations, they, third person, saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon who? Them, third person. You see how he switches those pronouns? That destruction will not include believers. Isn't that a wonderful thing? That will not include believers in Christ. That'll include unbelievers. It will come upon them. Those pronouns matter. And so this is all they need to know. They're not lacking anything. Look at verse two. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. You don't need to know when. You just need to know that it's going to be sudden, right? It's going to be sudden. This is going to be sudden. As, as he turns now explicitly to the day of the Lord, right? He says, you don't need to know about when. You already know something full well. And what he's saying here is you already know something accurately. You already know something accurately. What do they know accurately? They know that the day of the Lord, God's judgment on unbelievers will happen suddenly. They already know that. And this is an accurate, an accuracy thing. It's going to, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the what? Verse two. Thief in the what? Night. Night. You already know these rules concerning the day of the Lord. What's the rules? You're not going to know when, right? You don't know timing. Unbelievers won't know timing. No one knows timing. You got all these people spending all their time focusing on timing. 
I mean, it's just direct disobedience to the Lord. Because he says you shouldn't know and you're not going to know the what? Timing. I mean, that's just clear. And so that, that's the rules. We already know how it's going to play out. We already know it's going to be sudden. We already know it's going to come like a thief. You don't need to know when. All you need to know is it's going to be sudden. It's going to come like a thief, he says in verse 2, who comes at night. That's a scary thought, isn't it? I mean, when you go to bed at night, you make sure all the doors are locked to make sure that a thief doesn't come in at night. Why? I mean, you're vulnerable. That's a time when you least expect it. You won't be able to protect yourself. You don't know. You can't prepare. It's dangerous, and it's a threat to your life. This is the term he uses to describe his coming, his second coming of judgment on unbelievers. Thief in the night. So it's going to take everyone who's there by surprise. By the way, there will be believers there. And I've talked about that because people will come to Christ during the tribulation period. His promises on Israel will, will come true. There will be those who, uh, there will be a forerunner angel preaching the gospel. There will be those who are born during the tribulation period and come to Christ. That's why Matthew 24, he's going to gather the elect, all the people in heaven, all the people who come to Christ in the tribulation period, all the people who have already died, all of them are going to be gathered after the tribulation period and his second coming judgment will happen. But those who are in the tribulation as he comes during the day of the Lord for judgment on unbelievers, the description is it's going to happen like a thief. It's going to take everyone by surprise. There's no preparing. There's no protecting. Totally unexpected. Totally vulnerable. While seemingly tranquil. While seemingly at rest. Even though the tribulation will be anything but rest. In the blindness of the unbelievers' minds and hearts. In the deceptiveness of false teachers, well, there will be a plethora of false teachers during that time. In the hardness of their hearts, in the delusion that God puts on these unbelievers, which Second Thessalonians chapter 2 tells us. By the way, that is a just cause. This is already judgment. That's the time of judgment. We've passed the line. Delusion so ensuring their destruction. Then judgment is at hand, Christ's second coming, his return, taking away the unbelievers will come like this thief in the night. Now I said that this, there will be believers there during the time, but this passage talking about Christ coming like a thief, one taken, one left. You see these in different places throughout scripture. When it talks about Christ coming like a thief, it's not talking about the rapture. It's always talking about the day of the Lord. This is what he uses to describe the coming of the day of the Lord. It's always judgment. It's after the time of tribulation, and it's always judgment. There will be one after the time of the tribulation. There will be one after the time of the millennial kingdom where there will be the the great white throne of judgment. But the day of the Lord is always judgment. 
It's always judgment. It includes New Testament passages like Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 25, Luke chapter 12, 1 Peter chapter 3. That's the second one after the millennial kingdom. And so this is what the believers need to know. It's what they already know. It's that the day of the Lord, the second coming, will happen suddenly. The final judgment and the great white throne of judgment will happen suddenly. There will be no preparation for God's judgment. Now that should change how you live, shouldn't it? To know that God's judgment happens suddenly. If you're an unbeliever in the room and you're just exploring, you can deny that all you want, but God is literally saying that right here in the passage. And that should make you want to repent and believe. If you're a believer in the room, that should make you want to live right. There is no preparation. And that's the point of why God doesn't give the timing. Very practical, isn't it? If he gave you the timing, you'd just live however you want and get ready at the end. He doesn't give the timing so that you act now. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. It is an acceptable time. Meaning, hey, you in your chair right now, if you pray to be saved, he'll accept it right now. It's an acceptable time. You're still alive. You're still breathing. You're still on earth. Judgment hasn't come yet. Today is a day of salvation. Now is an acceptable time. Right? And so he wants this to impact us practically as we live. The day of the Lord is one of judgment. The Old Testament speaks of, I've given you all the New Testament. I'm again, just trying to ring this thing out. Again, the Old Testament speaks of the day of the Lord 19 times. And remember, I told you that there's this kind of near far thing happening in the Old Testament when it speaks of the day of the Lord. He's speaking of imminent judgment a lot of times from the other nations upon Israel. But it's, Ultimate fulfillment is in future judgment, but it kind of gives us a picture, right? For instance, Daniel chapter nine and Daniel chapter 11, the original fulfillment actually involves destruction by the king of Syria. It's called the abomination of desolation, but it also ultimately finds its fulfillment during the time of tribulation, of the tribulation. And so there's this kind of near far thing happening. But as to the Old Testament texts that speak of the day of the Lord, because that's what's here in verse two, right? It says it's this technical term that's given to us, day of the Lord. I just want you to hear some of these Old Testament passages before we, we kind of move on from this term, okay? So Isaiah chapter 13, verses nine through 11. Let me just give you some Old Testament texts. Isaiah chapter 13, nine through 11. I've given you the New Testament ones. Behold, The day of the Lord comes cruel with wrath and fierce anger to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. To destroy the sinners, not the sin. Some people say God hates the sin, loves the sinner. He hates the sinner until the sinner responds and trusts in Christ. Then he loves the sinner. He's gonna send the sinner to hell, not the sinner's sin to hell. And so understand this is upon those who are at enmity with God. I say that with love. I want you to repent and believe. I don't want you to be this sinner who's destroyed. I want you to be a believer in Christ. 
But I'm just, I want you to hear this. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark as it's rising. The moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. Joel 2, 1 through 3. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It's near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like blackness. There is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people. There like there has never been before, nor will be again after them through the years of all generations. Fire devours before them and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the garden of Eden before them, but behind them a desolate wilderness and nothing escapes them. Joel 2, 28 through 32. This is quoted in Acts, which is often misquoted, which people use to have... Uh, miraculous gifts still be relevant. This is, uh, uh, Joel chapter two is what it's quoting. This is speaking of the day of the Lord. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your younger men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and I will show wonders in heaven and on earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Zephaniah 1, 14 through 18, the great day of the Lord is near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty men cry aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. I will bring distress on mankind so that they walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust, their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed for a full and sudden end he will make to all the inhabitants of the earth. Amos 5, 18 through 20, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of, why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness, not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him or went into the house and leaned against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? That's the word of God. But let me tell you, you want to hear a passage about believers regarding this future judgment? Zephaniah 3, 14 through 15. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exalt with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst, and you shall never again fear evil. On that day, it shall be said of Jerusalem, fear not, O Zion. 
Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Which one do you want to be your story? I mean, that seems pretty obvious. And so this is the picture. Now, before we move on here, again, I just got to ring one more thing out here. The seasons, it is clear that these people knew the order of the events because their fear was that they missed the rapture and instantly the response is that the day of the Lord has what? Come. They know, it's clear, the rapture occurs before the tribulation and the judgment of God. So they had order of events. They knew it or else they wouldn't be fear that, afraid that they were in the day of the Lord already after missing the rapture, right? And I want you to have in your mind this clear order. And I'm just, I just want to tell you this one more time from the picture, from the book of Revelation. I mean, you can just see it as you just, it's it's very easily categorized. And so I'm going to condense it here. I could take you to a lot of other passages, but just to remind you, as we talk about these seasons in Revelation verses one through three, we see the churches on earth very clearly. In chapters four through five, the church is in heaven. That's surrounding the throne. That's the church. And so what we see is the church is taken up to heaven. And so we have the church on earth. We have the rapture. We have the Bema seat and we have the church in heaven. Then chapters six through 18 in Revelation are the tribu- is the tribulation. Very clear. Chapters six through 18. Then 19 is the day of the Lord, the second coming. Chapter 20 is the millennial reign. Chapter 20 again, the great white throne. And chapters 21 through 22, new heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem, eternity future. So church on earth, rapture, church in heaven, be my seat, what happened during that time. Tribulation, day of the Lord or second coming. Millennial reign, great white throne of judgment or second day of the Lord, new heavens, new earth. I mean, you can just read the book of Revelation and and you can just see it. It, It's very clear. And so they would know this, but what they didn't need to know is when everything would kick off, it would be sudden. They knew that accurately. And so Paul now, as we move on here to to number two in verse 3a, just to keep moving, Paul now talks about the attitude. He elaborates on this suddenness, okay? He elaborates on this suddenness. Verse two, it says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Verse three, while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. Listen now. This is a subordinate clause describing this suddenness of the thief in the night. What do you mean it's going to be like a thief in the night? Well, here's what I mean. While people are saying, peace, security, then sudden destruction is going to come upon them. That's just describing what he's just said. Okay, so here's what he's saying. He's describing the attitude that will be taking place during this time. 
I spoke to you last week of these labor pains or these birth pains that we see in Matthew chapter 24 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 in Revelation. And despite these birth pains taking place during the tribulation period, the signs and symptoms of judgment, people will be, or they, remember third person, not believers, them, destruction will come suddenly upon them like a thief. And so there will be these labor pains. This judgment is already happening. Uh, I've spoken to you about all of those signs and symptoms. You can find them. Uh, if you flip through Matthew 24, 2 Thessalonians 2, Revelation, you can see what this time will look like. And despite all of that happening, this destruction, this ruin, not annihilation. There's no like going out of existence. Destruction here is death, separation from God, suddenly at the coming of Christ. Though all of this is happening, people will be saying what? Peace and safety. That's what it means that it will come upon them. You say, how in the world is that possible? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Who's going to be saying peace and safety during the tribulation period? Well, do you believe the word? And I'll tell you how. There'll be sin and blindness and God's gracious hand of restraint against sin removed. And people will be given over to their ways and there will be false teachers and then there will be the judgment of God, which is delusion upon the unbelievers. And there will be signs and miracles. Do you understand that these signs and miracles, I mean, people desire these signs and miracles today. I want these signs and miracles. Do you know that God speaks of this sign and miracle in the future as delusion? Delusion. These signs and miracles will be tricking people into the fact that God isn't who he is, that his judgment isn't coming, that he doesn't have a righteous requirement. And so this, and by the way, this is not anything new. Jeremiah chapter six, Jeremiah is a prophet who God told to go to his people and say, flee from your sin. Judgment is coming. Let me just read to you what happens as he goes and does that from the least to the greatest of them. Everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from the prof and from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. This is Jeremiah. And they have healed the wound of my people lightly saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. Did they know how to blush? No, they didn't. They weren't even ashamed of their sin. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At the time that I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. Jeremiah is saying to the people, flee. Judgment is coming. And the false prophets and the false priests are saying, peace, peace. When there is no what? Peace. Isaiah says those who make idols, they don't talk. They don't speak. They don't provide anything. They're, they're looking at the people and saying, it's good. They're good. Judgment is coming. They're, but they're saying, don't worry. Things are good. It's okay. Ezekiel, same thing. 
Ezekiel speaking of coming judgment. Ezekiel 13. Let me read verses 1 through 10. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are prophesying and say to those who prophesy from their own hearts, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Your prophets have been like jackals among ruins, O Israel. You have not gone up into the breaches or built a wall for the house of Israel that it might stand in the battle in the, uh, in the day of the Lord. They have seen false visions and lying divinations. They say, declares the Lord when the Lord has not sent them and yet they expect him to fulfill their word. Have you not seen a false vision and uttered a lying divination whenever you have said declares the Lord, although I have not spoken. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have uttered falsehood and seen lying visions, therefore, behold, I am against you, declares the Lord God. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and who give lying divinations. They shall not be in the council of my people, nor be enrolled in the register of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter the land of Israel." And you shall know that I am the Lord your God precisely because they have misled my people saying peace when there is no peace. Matthew chapter 24. Remember the picture that we see of the day of the Lord? It's going to be like Noah. I mean, Noah is sitting there building an ark because there is what coming? Judgment. And Matthew 24 says that the day of the Lord will be like the day of Noah. People are just walking around. Everything is normal. It says in Matthew chapter 24, in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. I'd be fighting to get on the ship, right? You would hope, but without God's grace, you wouldn't be in your sin. You'd be, you'd be blind, unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be with the coming of the Son of Man. It's going to come suddenly, and you say, this, is, this seems absurd. Can I tell you the same thing is happening right now? I mean, we're standing here every Sunday screaming to the rafters, judgment, the Lord, the gospel, Christ. Salvation, the word. You go out there throughout the week and do the same thing with all the unbelievers in your world. And yet death will come on them instantly, but they act like they're going to live forever. The most important thing to people are the houses they buy. Move from house to house to house to house. And the trinkets they buy. And how many likes they get on social media. <laughs> Judgment is coming. What are you doing? And you say, how in the world could people be so deceived and be so blind? Or sin. I mean, the same exact thing is happening right now. Do you know that we, this is a very small piece to an eternal picture that matters very little except for what you do for Christ. I mean, nothing else matters. And you either are trusting in the gospel of Christ, you're saved and you're living obediently for him according to his word, or you're not. 
There's no in-between. There is literally no in-between. You're either at enmity with God or you have his salvation. And people are walking around like this is just it. And we're screaming from the word of God. And so you say, how in the world is that possible? But people are doing this every day. And suddenly death or destruction will come upon them. And they will face God's judgment. Right? So this is the picture of the day of the Lord. Now let's look at the activity and we'll just close this thing up. Verse 3b. It's going to come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. So Paul is elaborating on the thief picture, the thief in the night, the suddenness of the day of the Lord. They don't need to know when. All they need to know is it's going to be sudden. And they already know that accurately. Right? And so he describes this as labor pains. Basically, an onset of events that are unstoppable, that yield an inescapable outcome. You can't get out of it. It's coming. And that's the picture for the unbelievers. It's inescapable. It's coming. It's the onset is happening. There is a progression. It's building up over time. It will break forth and fleeing is futile because it's an inescapable. It's as inescapable as as someone who's pregnant giving birth. That's how inescapable it will be. It will be inevitable. Revelation 6. When I, he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, and a full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit. And when shaken by, the, by a gale, the sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful, everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in caves among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come who can stand. It's inescapable. That's the point here. It's a double negative in the Greek, ume. Double negative meaning in, in the Greek is it, they don't cancel one another out. It's emphatic. It's like not, not. They will not, not escape. It doesn't cancel one another out and make a positive. It, it, enf- in, it enforces it. Ume, meaning they will certainly not escape. That's what he's saying here. It's inevitable. So this is it. This is the picture that Paul is painting for these believers concerning the day of judgment. It will come suddenly. People will be blind by their sin and nobody who does not trust in Christ will escape. It will be impossible and this judgment is inevitable. So what's the response? Well, 
If you look down just a little bit, verse 11 says, this should be encouragement for you believers. Because guess what? Christ has saved you from this judgment. Praise God. Praise God. He's destined you not for wrath, but for salvation. But it should encourage you to live right. I don't, you don't want to live like those who are going to experience that. Sometimes we get a softened version of the world. We, we do want to reach people. I had a good question from my daughter yesterday. We were talking about sin and she said, but don't we want to accept everybody? But I'm confused because we should accept everybody. But at the same time, um, she said, the Bible says these things are wrong. That's exactly right. We should accept them to help them repent. You reach them and they, as they are, but God in no way condones staying as you are. So you're accepted, but if you refuse to repent and believe, you will not be. That's where the world gets this confused. We accept that we want everybody to come in this place and we'll take you as you are, but we will tell you, you cannot stay the way you are unless you want to experience this, right? And so the encouragement for you is to reach those people who are going to experience this unless they repent and believe. You should be encouraged. You're not gonna be part of this, but you should be eager to evangelize. And at the same time, you should be living now like different people. You cannot live like the ones who are at enmity with God and will experience his wrath. You don't wanna be associated with that kind of living. That's how much God hates it. This should make you holy. Holy, evangelistic, and encouraged. That should be the application for you. And if you don't know Christ, trust in him. Turn from your sin and trust in the merit of Christ for salvation. And we want to help you do that. And I pray that you would today. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. And your word is a sobering reality. You are love. And you have poured out your love and grace through your son. But you are just and you are right. Your holiness is perfect love, perfect judgment, perfect hatred of everything that's evil. Lord, we see here that this, you will save your believers, that they will all be together and be called up to heaven. And the judgment will come. It will be sudden. Unbelievers will be deceived and they will not escape. And we don't need to know when all of this is going to happen, but we know that it is going to happen and it should change us now. Let us live like people of the light, people of the day. Let us be encouraged by your saving grace through your son. Let us evangelize the lost and let us live differently. I pray that you would save the people of this town, Mandeville, Covington, Slidell, the North Shore, people who are deceived, who live like this is the end, who live like judgment isn't coming, who say peace and safety, 
when there is no peace. Only peace is found in you. Let us go and reach these people. Let us go into the highways and the byways and reach the lost world for your sake that they might escape your judgment through your grace in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.